Live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I'm John Ray. And folks, we are broadcasting from inside Renaissance Bank in beautiful Alpharetta. And if you're looking for a bank that's big enough to handle all your needs, but small enough to do it in a personal way, I've found that combination at Renaissance Bank with the clients that I work with. And I think you will too. And here's the other thing. They won't embarrass you on Monday morning. I'm thinking about that because we're, we're doing this show on Monday morning, recording this show on Monday morning. And that's a, been a bad morning for banks this year because there have been a lot of, of banks that have uh, had to announce that they're no longer with us. Um, Renaissance has a rock-solid balance sheet, and you're not going to be embarrassed by banking there. So if that's the kind of bank you're looking for with all those characteristics, go to renaissancebank.com and find one of their local offices and give them a call. And I think you'll be glad you did. And guess what? A live person will answer the phone. Boy, that's a, that's a throwback. Renaissance Bank, understanding you, member FDIC. And now I want to welcome Tony Van Gelder. Tony is with Van Gelder Financial. Tony, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. Let's talk about you and Van Gelder Financial and how you're serving folks out there. Sure. Yeah, so uh, we have been in existence since the late 1980s. My dad started the firm back in the late 80s, actually when we were living in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always grown it really from a boutique family feel. So, uh, I came into the business about five years ago and right now we're serving roughly 85 families Mm -hmm. across the U S in 18 different States. Wow. Um, including Georgia is one of those. And, uh, I'm a certified financial planner, which really just means I'm not going to be just your stockbroker, just your insurance guy, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to try to bring all sorts of financial planning aspects into that relationship making sure you're getting holistic advice. Um, and we're serving mostly pre-retirees and retirees, helping them not only get to retirement, but through retirement. Mm-hmm. That's terrific. So talk about, you, you uh, grew up in California. I did, yeah. So born and raised in Southern California. Okay. Uh, I'm a Dodger fan, so I don't know if we want I'm wanna, so sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know we we loved getting Freddie Freeman a couple years ago. Yeah, we hated giving uh, him to you. So, but uh, yeah, so grew up out there, uh, born and raised, and then in 1994 there was a big earthquake in Southern California mm. in at 4:30 in the morning. And uh, the reason I I tell that story is that we lived in a motorhome for gosh a number of weeks, if not months, um, as a family of five wow. while they fixed up our house. Wow! And uh, my mom, who had grown up in Indiana looked at my dad and said, you know, I can see a tornado coming, but I can't see an earthquake coming. Mm -hmm. So let's get out of here. So he actually maintained his financial services business, but we moved to Indiana and I did high school and college back there. So went to Indiana university, uh, majored in finance and, uh, yeah, that was the connection to California. Okay. Okay. Wow. Um, so you, you really beat the rush, though, because there are a lot of folks moving out of uh, California right now, right? So Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, why join the family business? Yeah. I mean, why, why, why financial planning for you? Yeah, good question. So we, we talked about it um, as I was majoring in finance in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking with my dad. I interned with him 
went on a couple of business trips with him and I just said, you know, I feel like I want to go forge my own path first. Yeah. Um, not only because I think it's important for me, but frankly, I think sometimes clients, I call it the powdered butt syndrome. They can look <laughs> at you and they can say, you know, you might have some of the, the uh, educational clout behind you, but you're young enough that I could have changed your diaper and powdered your butt. So uh, uh, should I be taking advice from you? And, mm-hmm. and I think that that I spent 12 years in corporate finance uh, here in the U S in Singapore, in Australia. Mm. And I think that experience was really valuable before coming back to the family business and saying, you know what? I think now I'm ready having, you know, cut my teeth in a lot of other areas to, to get back into the personal finance side of things. Corporate finance was great. I learned a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but that relational aspect of dealing with individuals and families was something that I had seen my dad enjoy and uh, something I wanted to come back to. So Yeah. Wow. So you were, um, I guess, uh, doing some pretty high-level corporate work. Talk, just talk briefly about some of that work that you did. Yeah. Uh, so all of that experience in corporate finance was with different medical companies. Mm. Um, so I started with a company called Hillrom up in Indiana Mm -hmm. after graduating. And they were the ones that actually sent me overseas to Singapore, um, worked in Singapore for almost a year. And then they sent me to Sydney, Australia, Mm. uh, worked there, different corporate roles. So some of that was basic, just accounting finance roles. Mm -hmm. But then by the end I was working for Phillips medical systems, Mm. their big imaging you know, MRI, oh, CT, yeah. x-ray machines. Mm-hmm. And one of the big issues was that public hospitals don't have the funding to continue to purchase this equipment for their patients. So we would structure what are called public-private partnerships, where we would come in and actually buy all the equipment from different hospitals and lease it back to them, take it from CapEx to OpEx, so mm-hmm. that they could continue to purchase and maintain those that equipment. And I was helping structure those deals for public facilities around Australia and New Zealand mm. or Philips. Um, so that was, that was kind of what I was doing by the end of it. Um, loving it, uh, met my wife and had our boys over there in Australia. So I have a close connection with it, but, uh, you know, felt like there was a call back home to America as well. Yeah. So how did you end up in Georgia? So, uh, when I was living overseas, uh, my parents and my brother had moved down to Atlanta area to Mm -hmm. Georgia uh, in 2015. So when my wife and I and our boys said, you know, we want to go back to the U.S., we figured let's be near family if we're going to do it. Um, so we could have gone back to Indiana, but we chose Georgia because that's where family had moved to sure. while we were overseas. So gotcha. that led us here. Gotcha. And you've, uh, you're pretty active in the Alpharetta area, member of the uh, Alpharetta Rotary. Talk about why Alpharetta is such a great place for you and your family. Yeah, so like a lot of families. So when we moved to Atlanta – we were ITP, right? We were mm-hmm. down in uh, Druid Hills near Brookhaven and um, enjoying it. But ultimately, uh, school brought us up here. So my oldest, who's now in second grade, got involved in an international charter school. And that really brought us up to the Alpharetta area and started falling in love with it almost immediately, you know, three years ago. And felt like, all right, this is not only a community I want to enjoy myself, but I want to give back so that it's something our boys can enjoy one day as well. Mm. And so Rotary for me was a little different than a lot of other networking groups in Atlanta where you feel like you're involved just to pitch your business and get some business from it. Right. Rotary is so different than that. And it was really ultimately the motto of service above self. Right. 
We're going to, you know, give back to the community in any way we can. Um, we're going to have fun while we do it. Um, and that's really why I got involved, uh, not only for myself, but hopefully creating a community that they're going to enjoy someday as well. Yeah, that's terrific. That's terrific. Well, let, let's talk about your work as a financial planner. So, so what, Lots of financial planners around, lots of financial advisors around. I don't need to tell you that. How, what distinguishes you and your firm? So I think a, a few things. Um, there are hundreds of thousands of financial advisors in the U.S., um, and sometimes it can, the, the waters can get a little muddied about what's really that different than someone else. One, I think, that sticks out that's important to me, my dad had it as well, is we are certified financial planners. So just under 30% of advisors actually have that designation, which essentially means not only do you get, do you have a business uh, background and an undergraduate degree from a reputable university, but you have gone through a number of hours directly with clients mm-hmm. and you've actually taken a very rigorous exam and mm-hmm. passed that exam to know all those different areas of insurance, tax, estate, uh, debt management, all the different areas of financial planning that you've got a really well-rounded background in. And so I think that's one area of difference in expertise. And I think another area is that we are completely independent. So you could go talk to an advisor who might start guiding you down a certain path of this insurance product or that annuity, mm-hmm. or I've got to sell so much of this. Right. Is it in your best interest or is it in mine as the advisor, as an independent advisor or fee-based? And so the only thing that you're paying us is the fee for the advice we're giving you. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very clear, clear cut. And that independence is important to us that we're not beholden to a specific company or a specific product to have to sell. So. Yeah. So, so when someone here sees the term CFP, Certified Financial Planner, when they see that term, they they know that that uh, CFP, like you are, is uh, fee only. Is it, that is that the way it works? You don't ha- do you, don't you have, have to, to be. be fee only? You don't have to be. So okay. you can be fee only. You can be fee-based, which means you're, you're mainly fees, but if somebody truly needs, let's say, an insurance product mm-hmm. or you really feel like an annuity is in their best interest, you can sell that and still make a commission, mm-hmm. or you can be commission-only, which mm-hmm. is kind of three different areas. Gotcha. You can do any of those as a CFP, but it, what it means is you can trust that they're a fiduciary. They're Got putting it. your best interests above their own, and that's a credo that is is – central to the CFP designation. Got it. Folks are here chatting with Tony Van Gelder. Tony is with Van Gelder Financial. So Tony, you are a young guy and I can imagine that, um, you know, you, your oldest is in second grade, right? So you're a young, <laughs> you're, you're a young guy. And, um, I can just imagine that you, that you hear this all the time about you just don't have enough gray hair for me and you know so forth. So how do you respond to folks that um say that to you and that you need more experience and more um cycles in your history, stock market cycles in your history, right? Sure, sure. I think it's a fair a fair concern, a fair question. Um couple things come to mind and I've seen this play out. So a lot of people say they want to have an advisor that is near their age or maybe even older, right? They've been through, like you said, 
not just what happened in 2022 or 2020 or for that matter, even 2008. Right. But I want to know someone who went through the 2000s and some of the lost decade and the late 80s and the savings and loans crisis, whatever it might be. I want to know someone who's experienced that. And what I've also seen, though, is that one of the most critical times for a client is as they're approaching retirement and then going through retirement. Mm -hmm. And typically, if your advisor is the same age as you or older and you get to retirement, where's your advisor? Well, they've retired or they're retiring as well. And it's one of the worst times to then be handed off to someone new to start to, to trust and build that relationship as you get to that age. And so in my experience, finding an advisor that's got 10, 15, 20 years, your junior, it's not only going to get you to retirement, but through retirement and is going to be there through that, through that amount of time, I think is really critical versus someone just your age. The other thing I would say is I find when I'm working with someone in their thirties and forties, let's say a peer of mine, I find it a little bit harder not to get in their box and say, well, I've experienced, this is how I've done it. This is Mm -hmm. how you should have done it. Mm. And I see that sometimes with older advisors, they think, well, how they did it is how their clients should do it because they're in their fifties and sixties or seventies even. Right. Um, And so I think sometimes having that difference in generational gap is actually a positive thing that I might bring a fresh perspective or a new way of looking at things, but I'm also not going to get in your box to pretend that how I've done or structured social security or Medicare or long-term care is how you should, but this is maybe how other clients have done it. And here's some options for you. So I think those are some things that, that are valuable beyond just, Hey, you're younger than me. Yeah. And, I think what people maybe overlook is the fact that when you make a big decision like choosing a financial advisor that you want to take care of your situation, not only today, but as your kids grow and that kind of thing, um, just <laughs> the demographics don't work, right? When, you, when you're selecting somebody that may be experienced, but they're um, somebody that's uh, – they may not be around. I mean, let's just be blunt about this, right? They may not be around. Yeah. Most likely won't be around. Yeah. Um, so um, there, there's – you don't want to have to make this decision again. 100%. 10 years down the road, right? 100%, yeah. You know, and, and to your point, um, intergenerational planning, I think, is becoming more and more uh, important. Mm-hmm. Not that it hasn't been. But the, you know, if you've heard about this great wealth transfer that's going to be coming from the baby boomers to, let's say, Gen X or the millennials. Right. Um, if I am, as I say, 15, 20 years junior, a lot of my clients, the value is not only are, do we have a relationship, but now I can relate maybe a little bit better to the children or mm-hmm. even the grandchildren that are going to be inheriting the wealth and manage some of that, uh, carrying on that legacy. Uh, through those generations and not just be someone who's going to be retiring as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So let's talk about the tech, the impact of technology on, on investing, because there's a lot going on there uh, with robo advisors. And you might want to explain what I, what I refer to there, what that means. Mm-hmm. And of course, chat GPT's out. So, uh, let's talk about that one as well, how that impacts financial advi- the, the financial advisory industry. Sure. So I'll start with robo-advisors. I think really that's just a fancy way of 
saying that you can go online now and you could go to someone like a Wealthfront or even a Vanguard, mm-hmm. big name, and they say, you know, we're going to offer you wealth management services and we're going to charge you 0.25, 0.35%, significantly lower than, let's say, a standard one and a half, one percent fee that you might have gotten from a, a in-person advisor. Mm-hmm. I think the difference when you look at a robo advisor is they're just doing that piece. Mm. They are just doing wealth management. Mm-hmm. Coming back to that CFP designation, what's important to me is sure I could help guide on how you might be invested in the wealth management piece, but I want to make sure that that's lined up with all the other aspects of your financial plan, your insurance, your estate the legacy we just talked about with your family, maybe your philanthropic giving, whatever it may be. Um, all of those aspects are important and all of those things take more time and energy that are built into a fee that we might be charging you. Mm-hmm. And so when you break down our fee of all those different areas, we're very on par with a robo-advisor, but now you're going to get the human interaction and you're going to get the holistic planning beyond just, I'm putting my funds somewhere, they're invested, can't talk to a human, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope I stick with it. And in a year like 2022, <laughs> like we just had, it felt a little bit like death by a thousand cuts. It wasn't a huge drop in any one week, but it just was a slow slog of every time you opened up a statement. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Right. Oh my goodness. That behavioral coaching piece, I think is so critical. The psychological aspect of wealth management is something you're not going to get from a robo advisor or from chat GPT for that matter. So, yeah, uh, they don't call you back, do they? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what is the impact of chat GPT on investing? Where, where, where's that come in? Um, I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, I don't know if everyone knows, yep. but this chat GPT is a, is an online tool that was started by a company called open AI mm-hmm. actually started as a nonprofit venture. Yeah. Surprisingly. Um, think of it kind of like, you know, your Google search on steroids. You're not only going to have a search bar where you type in a question and get a whole list of responses, but you can have a conversation with it back and forth. It might give you a response and you ask it to refine it, give it a, a response and you'll say, okay, but refine it a little bit more. And you're seeing more and more people go there for financial planning advice, which stocks to pick state planning, tax advice, whatever it may be. And in my experience, I think that doesn't negate the need for a human financial advisor. In fact, I think it increases it because there's so much noise. There is so much noise out there. And one of the ways I relate this a little bit is when you look at uh, the fitness industry, as an example, Mm -hmm. has there been any shortage of what you could find online when you go and Google what diet you should have or what exercise plan you should put in place? No. has been has been there for as long as... But does that stop someone needing someone looking after their diet or a personal trainer to keep them honest? Absolutely not. In fact, it probably increases it because there's so much noise to wade through. Sure. And that's kind of how I view this, uh, that I want to be hopefully a guiding voice that's going to work through all of the noise out there and give you some clear-cut answers. Uh, ChatGPT can be a great uh, complement to some of that and can maybe dangerously guide you down some paths as well at times. And so having someone, a human you can come back to and talk to about, uh, I think isn't, is not only important, but will become more important as these types of things grow. Sure. Sure. So talk about 
how a conversation with you unfolds. Somebody listening to this interview says, you know, Tony's like, sounds like a pretty, uh, sounds like a professional of value to me. So I want to open a conversation. How does that conversation unfold? How do you uh, deal with that? So a lot of times, um, it's going to be some sort of referral from a current client. Um, so typical conversations, um, that we have are usually 30 minutes to an hour to kick things off, usually over the phone. And it's a whole lot of listening to Mm -hmm. be honest. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'm asking questions about have, have they worked with an advisor before? If they have, why did that not work out or why are they not still working with that advisor? I think that's important to know. Mm -hmm. I want to understand why now, why not last year? Why not two years from now? What usually there's some sort of event or, uh, defining moment that's led them to to want to have that conversation. I mean, most people won't talk to their spouse about money, let alone now I'm going to reach out to someone I don't know, right. ask them some questions. <laughs> so there's a, usually some sort of an event that's taken place or something that's woken them up. Right. I want to understand that. Um, and then ultimately I want to understand what they want to accomplish. So short term, next one to three years, what are your goals? Long term, what are your goals? And if it feels like they're looking for a stockbroker, or if it feels like they're looking for a one-off piece of advice, I just say, look, I don't, I don't think we're probably the best fit mm. because clients that we have, as you talk about those 85 families or so, average length of time they've been with us is well over 10 years. Oh, wow. So it's a, it's a business that we want to get involved with for life with clients. Mm-hmm. And so those first conversations are really just kind of testing, are they a good fit? Are we a good fit? And, no pressure from there. Let's keep having those conversations for the next six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got more questions to come up, we're never the type that are going to nickel and dime. But as as they get comfortable and as we feel that there might be a good fit, then if that leads somewhere, great. Yeah, this is this is really should be true, it seems to me, on the client side as well. I mean, if you're making a lifetime decision, you don't want to make that decision in haste, right? Um, I mean, I'm... I'm sure you've had situations where you look at a client and the client looks at you and, you know, it's, it's a business love at first sight, shall we say. And you, you know, you, I'm sure, I'm sure you've had that. Right. But, but most of, most of them are, you need to take the time and and marinate on the, on the decision to get together and work together. Right. A hundred percent. It takes a long, in my experience, there's a, at least I'd say 12 months, usually 24 months of, I want to get to know you. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think can sometimes cloud the decision is if they're with an advisor, they don't want to go through that awkwardness of Mm -hmm. how that's going to be handled to leave. Right. And so walking them through that, managing their expectations that a lot of times we can handle that on their behalf. Yeah. If they want to be involved, fantastic. Right. If they want to do it all, you know, above board and talk to them first, no problem. But we're not here stating that all the other advisors are terrible mm-hmm. and we're, we're right. here, but I think handling that side of things takes a lot of the pressure away from people that they don't, they don't want to hurt a friend or for that matter, even a family member they've yeah, been uh, with. I was going to say their knucklehead son-in-law, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Their uncle who put them, tipped them off on Bitcoin or something. Right. right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. That takes, yeah, speaking of marinating, that takes a lot of that, uh, for sure. So, what 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 are the big uh, picture things that you see 
here over the next uh, few years that you think, whether it's in the markets, economy, and you're not here to predict anything. So, folks, we're, let's just say that. But uh, just the big picture of things that you think people need to be paying attention to. It's mm. a good question. So, um, I'll give two answers to that. Uh, first, to kind of help with your disclaimer, none of this is personal financial advice. That's right. Uh, but I would say, in general, this is going to be really boring and people might roll their eyes as they're listening to this. I would say your personal goals and what you want to accomplish are so much bigger than news headlines. And we, I think a lot of clients, myself included, get tripped up on assuming that your question about what's going to come the next six months, year, two years should guide how I'm going to make decisions about my personal finances. And while that's true to some extent, um, the majority of the time, sticking to a long-term plan, being boring, and not changing based on the next six months, 12 months, or 18 months is the right way to go. And so that comes back to that initial conversation is what's your goals? What do you want to accomplish? Let's make sure that despite what's going on with global concerns, with interest rates, with inflation, with a presidential election next year, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, what what's the flavor of the month or the year? Let's not get bogged down in that. All right. Now, that being said, if, what's going to, if you look at the macroeconomic environment, what am, what am I watching or paying attention to? Uh, I would say one, I am pretty focused on the fact that right now cash is kind of returned to being king. Um, so, you know, two years ago, if you were getting 0.1%, you were cheering. And now if, if you're getting under 4% on a savings account or a money market account, you should be concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for a lot of people entering retirement and coming into retirement, I think even though 2022 was tough for bonds, I think bonds are going to be coming back in vogue. Um, from that respect, because as rates hopefully are nearing a top and potentially coming back down in the next year or two, having bonds in your portfolio that are paying what they're paying now is going to be very valuable. Mm-hmm. So I think cash and fixed income will come back in vogue for a lot of those people that are saying, you know what, I've had a good ride since 2008, 2009, all the way through 2021. I've enjoyed some of that, but how do I preserve that? going mm-hmm. into retirement. I think those are things to, to be considering and keeping a watch for, um, you know, as, as things have changed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Good words from Tony Van Gelder, folks. He is with Van Gelder Financial. So, Tony, let's um, talk about the types of clients that you work with. You mentioned clients that are pre-retirement, thinking about retirement, and going into retirement. Any other descriptors around that you want to add? Yeah. So I'd like to call it from a football analogy. If you're in your red zone, ah, right? <laughs> okay. right, if, you're, if you're, if you're five years pre mm-hmm. or, or getting close to it, I think that's an important time. Don't wait to retirement to mm-hmm. reach out and talk to someone. I think second to that, and I'd say 90 plus percent of our current clientele has a huge desire for philanthropic giving. That's something that I'm super passionate about. I've been on this podcast before for in other areas around that topic of mm-hmm. donor advised funds, sure. charitable giving. That is something that has been really true across the board with our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only approaching retirement, but they've got a philanthropic uh, desire there. And I think the other thing that has just developed since moving back to the U.S. that is a, a pretty unique 
niche is people that have had experience overseas and are coming back to the U.S. and reintegrating or integrating for the first time and trying to understand the complexity of our financial system. Mm. It's something as simple as how a mortgage works here compared to overseas. Right. That has been something that uh, has been a huge growth for our business is providing that guidance uh, and potentially how they interact if they ever go back overseas for retirement or if they stay here and how they're going to structure their investments and assets has been has been a real key. So those are two two main areas, retirees with a philanthropic focus mm-hmm. and international expats that are here to stay or maybe returning back overseas in the future. Got it. Got it. So I would love it if you could, and I think our listeners would as well, share a success story. Uh, you don't have to mention names, of course, where you're in the confidentiality business, but but just a situation that helps illustrate the great work that you and your firm do. Yeah. So coming back kind of on that philanthropic um, standpoint, a lot of people, and rightly so, as they're working, they're chunking money away in their 401k or a traditional IRA as they should be. Mm-hmm. And it's growing, it's growing, it's growing great. They get to retirement and this little thing crops up called required minimum distributions where the IRS says, great, we love that you've saved so much. Now we're going to make you take a certain amount out every year. Used to be at 70 and a half. Right now it's 73. It's going to move to 75 mm. in, by 2033. But as that happens, as that change occurs, people are sometimes blindsided that all those required distributions are taxable. They got those tax deductions along the way, mm-hmm. but now they got to pay taxes on the way out except for a couple of different ways to structure it. And one of the success stories, we had a client out in California, married couple uh, in their 70s. They are doing just fine on their pension and Social Security income and accomplishing what they want. And so this extra required income that they have to take is going to be taxes they have to pay that they're going to take in and probably turn right back around and give to a church, a charity, or something that's important to them. Mm Mm-hmm. You can, you can structure, and what we did with them is we structured uh, qualified charitable distributions. And you can do this up to $100,000 of your required distribution from an IRA or oh, 401k. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you send that straight to a church or charity of choice. It doesn't come to you. It doesn't have the IRS tax at first. You send it there tax-free, mm-hmm. and it doesn't count towards your taxable income for that year. And it was just a way for us to be more intentional about their giving, mm-hmm. something they already would have done. But it was a, a huge tax savings for them along the way as well. So for me, it was you tick two birds or hit two birds with one stone, really, in that giving and also that tax savings for the client. And a lot of, again, a lot of that structure and when what you know lights a fire under me is making sure that we're not only doing that charitable giving, but if we're getting a tax incentive while we do it, why not? Yeah, absolutely. And if and if you if these uh, required distributions are big chunks. Like you're talking about up to a hundred thousand, then you can can you set up a donor advised fund and put it in that do, donor advised fund? It's a good question. So with with qualified charitable, sorry to distrib- get in the weeds here, but that's all right. <laughs> with qualified charitable distributions, you cannot. Those okay. have to go straight to a, a charity or a five hundred one c three. Got it. But donor advised funds, separate to that, mm-hmm. are certainly another very powerful tool uh, to to not only create a legacy with your giving, but get a tax incentive as well. Yeah, way. for sure, for sure. Yeah. If you want to learn more about all this, uh, the, the weeds that I just got into, call Tony. And that's that's where we're going to get to the most important question here is how folks can get in touch and learn more. Yeah. 
so two ways. Uh, you can get a hold of me, 404-854-4746, or visit us online. We're at www.vangelder, V-A-N-G-E-L-D-E-R, vangelderfinancial.com. Tony Van Gelder, folks, Van Gelder Financial. Tony, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in and, and sharing your uh, expertise with us. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Hey, folks, just a uh, quick reminder. If you've got some dysfunction in the back office of your business, whether that's administrative task you're spending too much time on, or maybe your bookkeeping system is, is a Nike shoebox <laughs> and you just need something better and you know you do, um, The great team at Office Angels has a solution for you. They have a whole team of angels that fly in and they get the work done that you need to get done in order to restore joy to your business. And they do it on an ongoing or as needed basis. And I know of the great work they do because they uh, do work for me. I could not run my business without them. So go to officeangels.us to learn more or Better yet, just give them a call and let them know that we sent you. You can reach them at 678-528-0500. That's 678-528-0500 and let them know we sent you. And a couple of quick things as we wrap up here, folks, I'm releasing a book later this year, uh, 2023, called The Price and Value Journey, Raising Your Confidence, Your Value, and Your Prices using the generosity mindset method. If that's if you're a professional services provider, you might be interested in this. To learn more, go to pricevaluejourney.com, sign up to receive updates on that book. Um, you can find more info there. Also, a big thank you to our listeners. We're coming up on show number 700 from North Fulton Business Radio. We've only come this far because of you. You continue to support the show. And one of the ways you do that is by following us on social media, subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app, and sharing the show. So please continue to do that work. Uh, That helps us fulfill our mission as the voice of business in North Fulton. But more importantly, it shines the spotlight on the great guests that we've had over the years, like Tony and the other some 1,000 or so guests that we've had on this show over the past seven-plus years. So thank you for your support, and thank you for shining that light on the great business leaders in the North Fulton area. So for my guest, Tony Van Gelder, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.